0: Today we come to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the first three verses. So let's give our full attention to this. I'll read it for us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. So chapter 4 turns to a section in which Paul urges and asks the people of God to live a life pleasing to God. And a life pleasing to God is to abstain from sexual immorality, to abstain from all sexual immorality. Who wants to do this? And who really gets to do this? How? Just got four parts, or four different angles to this passage. First, there must be a starting point. Second, going to offer some sex education. Third, sanctified sexuality. And then we're going to close with so what? Four parts. We got to start with the starting point. It's intriguing these days. Studies are being written. And of course, many studies will come out how different countries are responding so differently to the COVID-19 crisis. And countries differ because of, they have a different way of thinking. They grow up in a different educational system, a different culture, values, and norms have been at work. You see, who you are or who you were raised to become directs what you do. And similarly, there's a starting point and a similar dynamic or principle at work in Christian life. You see, in verse 1, Paul says, I ask, we urge you, you see, you can be told or commanded or instructed to go please God. Live a life pleasing to God. But Hebrews 11, verse 6 tells us, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You see, in other words, Christian faith has a starting point where you believe before you do christian faith has a starting point in which you are receiving before you live a life pleasing to god that's what we just read in verse one just as you received from us how you ought to walk and how to please god what did they receive well they received by example a certain type of life in ministry the apostle paul and his friends there's a lot to learn and imitate from examples but even more importantly in chapter 2, verse 13 of, this, of the same book, here's what Paul wrote. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you, believers. See, there must be a starting point. By faith, you must receive before you can even dare to live a life pleasing to that malcolm mudridge was uh, working as a journalist in india one day he left his hotel one evening and went into the river for a swim and in the distance he saw the silhouette of an attractive seemingly attractive woman and he admits that he'd been struggled with the temptation to Marital infidelity, but he had fought it off because of his marriage commitment to his wife Kitty. But on that evening, Malcolm Mudridge, after a very brief struggle, felt this temptation storming in and he began to swim toward that woman. It's as if he swam harder and faster, he swam more fiercely, fiercely because uh, he was trying to outdistance his conscience. When he came, about two or three feet away, it is reported, and he emerged from the water. He said when he looked upon her, he was only met by devastation. Quote, she was old and hideous, and her skin was wrinkled, and worst of all, she was a leper. This left Malcolm Mudridge trembling and muttering to himself, what a dirty, lecherous woman. But then when the rude shock of it all dawned upon him, Mudridge began to realize it was not so much the woman who was dirty and lecherous, it was his own heart that was lecherous to the core. Do you know that Jesus Christ himself taught you don't just commit adultery with your hands? It happens in in our hearts. I love what one of our pastors posted today, pragmatically speaking, Sam Albury, who fights with same-sex attractions, but follows Jesus Christ. Quote, it's going to be much harder to physically resist the sin that you've been mentally rehearsing. So my friends, before we even get into the passage of what you ought to do and how you ought to live a life pleasing to God by abstaining from all sexual immorality, who are you? Have you had a starting point? Have you received something The word of God, which is the gospel, at work in you. And what you and I need most is a brand new heart. See, what to do with our hearts that has adulterous and immoral or lustful thoughts? What are you going to do? Rip it out? Hmm. Jesus' point in teaching this was that you can't rip out your hearts. He's going to give you a brand new one that is empowered and directed and pumping for the pleasure of God. This is a non-starter. If you have not received by faith a whole new operating system, if you will, a whole new heart. Second, sex education. Well, let me offer it. I'm not going to offer it from other books. It's actually given here in other passages of Scripture. There are two common popular views when it comes to sex. First, sex is bad and dirty. Oh, I know this may not be a majority view these days, but it has been and continues to be in certain circles. On Facebook I recently posted when my daughter Elizabeth was in kindergarten, she was reenacting how this other boy wanted to ask her to be his girlfriend and he even wanted to kiss her and she reenacts with so much emotion and expression upon her face. Ew, ew. And of course, Sonny, your mom was telling you, You better not kiss him. Well, at certain ages, of course, yeah, sex is gross, dirty and bad and to this day, I will struggle and wrestle with God. Why can't she stay this way? Well, in other certain religious or ascetic worldviews and philosophies, people in Paul's day looked down upon the physical body, anything to do with matter, flesh and blood, and so they avoided it all. So, of course, for instance, any sexual activity is beneath the higher, more elevated spiritual, intellectual pursuits. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, has to correct that false teaching. It is false to believe that all sex is dirty and bad. But I know, which hits much closer to home, some of you have had awful experiences. And this has led you to feel sex is dirty and bad. Abuse. Abuse taken advantage of. You've become addicted or you're addicted right now. Perverted, criminal, dehumanizing forms. There's all kinds of forms that are just downright dirty and filthy and wrong. But notice in chapter 4, verse 6, which we did not read, no one transgressed and wronged his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, Let me just change one little preposition there. The Lord is an avenger. No, he is the, the avenger. Holy and perfect. And he will defend and restore real victims and bring about true justice. But notice what the Bible has said in verse 3. It does not say to abstain from all sexual activity, all sexuality. No, abstain from sexual immorality, not sex altogether. So the first common view is sex is dirty and bad. Here's a second common view, and much more pertinent today. Sex is good anytime, anywhere, with anyone. Sex is good all the time, anywhere, with anyone. It's hard to describe how much indoctrination and acceptance, how much we may feel here in the modern West, deep down to our bones, this mantra, if it feels good and right it must be good and right if it feels good and right therefore it must be good and right well apostle paul says here in verse five those who do not know god you have not received a new life from god it is natural for you to live in the passion of your lust just carried away with whatever you feel might be good and right and in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, Paul almost mentions better than the non-believing congregations or audiences he was talking to. He actually knows their hearts better than they do. He said, for many of you, I know what you think of sex. It's like a physical appetite that you ought to automatically fulfill, like food and drink. It's just a physical appetite. So, so far, the first view is prudish, and then the second common view is pervasive and pagan. Both views fall way short of pleasing God. But I want to spend a little more time on the second view because it is more pervasive because of widespread technology that we have today. You know, in 2006, the United States of America spent $13 billion on porn. $13 billion in 2006. That is more than the combined revenues of professional sports. It is also more than the combined revenues that is reported than ABC, CBS, and NBC. Now, some of you are longing for live sports ones again because it has been suspended, but I assure you sexual immorality has not been suspended. The statistics and the studies, which I don't really need as your pastor, but in my two or three decades of pastoring, I have learned this the hard way. A pornemic is much greater than this pandemic. It is wiping out a whole generation and you know what it's done this is an ode to one of my favorite apologists and thinkers and speakers and authors who this week went to be with Jesus face to face Ravi Zacharias a brilliant influential man he spoke in this way of porn do you know that it creates an imagination only to be forever unfulfilled Pornography poisons happy and lasting relationships. It robs you of real joy, love, and peace. It'll downgrade your unction, if you will. It'll ruin your usefulness and leadership and service for Christ and for one another. Back to Ravi Zacharias in a book entitled, Can Man Live Without God? On this modern mantra that if it feels good and right, it must be good and right. Here's his observation. I am absolutely convinced that meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain. Meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure. And that is why we find ourselves emptied of meaning with our pantries still full. There must be a starting point, my friends. Second, sex education, two common prevailing views. Here's the third by revelation from God through Apostle Paul, a view of sexuality that this world cannot muster, a sanctified sexuality. Do you know what it is? Sex is sacred. Sex is sacred. It is the will of God who created it. And he's saying, this is what I want with it. This is how I prescribe it to be. And if he is all loving, good and wise it would be very good of us and wise to pay attention. It is the will of God for his people to be sanctified. That means every area of life has been changed and is changing to replicate the holy and most beautiful image of Jesus Christ. And of course, this includes our sexuality. Again, in verse 3, Abstain from sexual immorality. The Greek word there is porneas. Abstain from porneas. This word includes, at least. I'm just saying it includes these things. All imaging, texting, arousing, thinking, planning, and, of course, activity outside of an exclusive marital covenant. Again, without receiving a new heart and a renewed mind from God by faith, you are only going to look at this command as, oh, how negative and restrictive. But can I ask you this? Do you have something truly priceless? Do you have something priceless at your home? Do you go around telling everybody where it is? Don't you put security and restrictions around it? Don't you try to keep it private? You see, if it's something common and cheap like Halloween candy, you can just put it out of your front door and anyone can come by and take it as they please. But if it's something truly priceless, valuable to you, the more protective you are about it and the more violated and upset and even incensed you'd be if anyone misused it or took it, only goes to show you how precious it is to you, not how common or cheap. You know, one of the opportunities in, in these days, since everything is virtual, is been offering premarital counseling for a a non-believing and cohabitating couple whom who I really love and care for. And between the two of them, it's just obvious: uh, no abuse, no cheating, no porn. Uh, unresolved fights are going to really ruin our relationship. Bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness are toxic. They're just toxic. Now, why do these things have any kind of force? Or why do these rules exist? You see, just as there are physical and scientific laws in place, there are relational and moral and spiritual laws, too, without which things just don't work out right. And one of the most sacred, invisible, and absolute laws in place is that sex, sexual activity, is more significant and binding than your signature on an enormous loan or contract. Sex is a physical pledge and promise before the eyes of God to love someone for better or for worse. Oh, where do I get this? Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, Adam and Eve, and they became one flesh. Sex is the physical sign and promise of total union, of becoming one flesh and staying as such. Again, our definition, by definition, porneus, abstain from sexual immorality, by definition, definition is no other kind of sexual activity should occur outside of the marriage, love, covenant, and relationship. And then maybe I think Apostle Paul's best argument in First Corinthians chapter 6 is that if you give yourself sexually to someone, if you give yourself physically or bodily to someone, did you know that the rest of yourself... Mind, heart, and soul automatically goes with it too. It's a total package deal. You actually can't help it or stop it, at least at first. Because when you use sex or sex is used against you outside of God's will, God's order and laws, it cuts and divides you. It rips and damages you deep and vast. And those Harry Potter novels, sorry to quote it, There's an evil figure, a character, Voldemort. There's nothing good about him. And I guess after every murder, I hope I'm not misquoting that, he left a piece of himself in different objects. You see, he had split himself in all these different kinds of pieces. I do not think sexual immorality is that much different because it's like splitting and ripping apart and leaving parts of yourself around with different people. You see, my friends... God is not against sex. He is, however, against the kind of sex which leaves you unloved and alone the morning after. God is not against sex, but he is against the kind of sex that rips you apart inside. And if a person just wants sex with you and avoids marriage commitment, I assure you it's lust, not love. Sex done out of boredom or addiction or popularity or self-pleasure or comfort or power is not close to what real love is. Because if you look at the love of Jesus Christ, it is self-sacrificial. Jesus gave entirely of himself, above and beyond, to never stop loving you and to never leave you alone. This is why Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Sanctified sexuality. Sex is sacred. Let's close with so what? So what? If you don't consider this topic or sexual activity outside of marriage relationship as wrong or harmful in any way, I would just ask you to give it a little more thought, please. Because God has... God came up with it. Immorality will always make you and other people pay. Immorality will always make you and other people pay. I'm here to tell you, God offers a much better and satisfying way. A Second, so what? For all of my friends, brothers and sisters who have failed, you're failing right now. And it almost feels like you just go on failing and stumbling through this. And you beat yourself up over and over and over and over again. Can I tell you, there's no sin, there's no shame that can withstand the cleansing power of Jesus' blood. My friends, do not believe in the power of your own sin or shame or your self-loathing more than the purifying and infinite power of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. This is why in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Paul wrote, and such were some of you, talking about sexual immorality and greed and idolatry, you were like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. When you get washed, when you get covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, and you receive that by faith, my friend, you are pure, unblemished, and chaste in the eyes of God. And his eyes are the, mo- are the only eyes that really matter. A third, so what? Some of you profess to follow Jesus Christ, some of you assume your Christianity was somehow just born into your life because you grew up in a church, but I want you to pay close attention to this passage. If you're not practicing it, if you're not living it out, beware. If you assume your Christian faith is for real, but you are not fighting against sexual sin and all sins, uh, I'm here to tell you, you cannot continue this way. You cannot be a Christian and not fight against sexual sin. Verses 7 and 8, in the same chapter of 1 Thessalonians, Paul goes on to write, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards us disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. You see, by nature, by identity, by design, it's the same dynamic. If you've had the right starting point, a Christian person is freed from all past penalty of sin, but you're also freed to fight its present remaining powers, and you are assuredly going to be freed from its future presence. That is a Christian person. That is the dynamic of Christian life from start to finish. If you are unmarried, happily or unhappily unmarried, single or dating around, in person or virtually right now, I would just ask you to refer to a sermon two years ago. It was the first Sunday sermon we launched at Hope International University. It's there online on verses 1 all the way, I think, up to 7 or 8. Please pay attention to it. But I will just close on this. Unmarried or married, impurity will always make you pay. But self-control and sexual purity leads to greater pleasures. A fourth. The way out of sexual sin, the way out, do you really want a way out? Is not guilt and shaming or blaming. It's not more self-relying or self-loathing. It's when you experience the abounding love that Jesus Christ has for you And you abound in love for one another. Do you notice the whole context of this passage? Pastor Jimmy Hahn preached upon it last week, the close of chapter 3. Paul says, I I just want you, and I pray my whole thesis and my main point of this book is this, until Jesus comes back, and he's going to come back sooner than we think. Abound in love for one another. Abound in love. And then look at verse 9 of our chapter. Paul picks up the theme again. Abound in brotherly affection. Or abound in brotherly love for one another. The way out of sexual sin is the abounding love that Jesus Christ has for you and to abound in love for one another. Oh, my dear friend over at NYU, been working with Navigators Ministries a couple of years ago, came around to our church and he openly and vulnerably shared that he was addicted to porn for so much of his life and then met the woman of his dreams, a godly, patient, gracious, but truthful woman, and he has not looked at porn since. Oh, it can be done. It has been done. It is being done. By friends of mine as well, with whom I'm in accountability groups with. You do not have to cave back again and again and again at all. It can be done, and do you know how? The love of his wife. Most of all, the love of the Holy Spirit in his uh, his life. Friends and family, computer software, that's loving. All kinds of checks and balances around him and he has never had to go back again. The way out, the way out is to give yourself entirely to him and for his people and to abound in love. Last but not least, for those of you who are listening to this and your heart is stirred And you so seek to want to do the will of God and to live a life pleasing to God. You are repenting and believing regularly. You are following Christ daily and sometimes maybe failing. Oh, I've got a passage for you that I can hardly read at times without being broken to tears. Mark chapter 10, verses 29 to 31. We'll close right here. Mark chapter... 10 verses 29 to 31 here's what jesus promised truly i say to you there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life but many who are first will be last and the last first Many who are seemingly first right now will be last. But those who may feel like they're last right now will be first. If I may, if sexual experience is like little appetizers, you get to taste it. Yes, it is pleasurable. It is enjoyable. But they're only appetizers. Will you remember what the appetizers were like when a much grander and greater banquet awaits? You see, for those of you waiting right now and denying and being controlled, you're going through deprivations and denials. And in this season particular, you are really going through sometimes the bouts and the depths of loneliness. But you so want to please God. And you so want to be intimate and true with Christ. My friends, here's what Jesus says. When you get in the first and best seats in the house, and you are feasting and drinking closest to the king, nobody's going to miss the appetizers. The last will be first. Seemingly, some of those who are first will be last. This is the very promise of Jesus Christ for you, and he is coming back for you to make everything right and to make everything well. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your precious and holy word. And we ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would make us holy too. Turn everything inside out to know that our greatest pleasures, our ultimate and lasting blessedness, our wholeness cannot ever be found, ever felt ever touched ever experienced apart from the love of jesus christ oh so lord we pray that your people this day would come and run back into your arms and know the cleansing powerful flow of your blood and we might go forth in sexual morality and in sanctification for your pleasure and glory and also to be an attractive witness for friends and family Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.